grateful people have a good mental health. Gratitude enhances well-being. It helps you to live well if you are a grateful person. But gratitude is not always the first thing that comes to our mind every morning when we wake up. You will agree with me that when you wake up in the morning, it's not gratitude that the first thing that comes to you, oh, let me be grateful today. Gratitude is not the first thing that comes to your mind when you come from work, tired, and you get home. Gratitude. You know that. After every meeting, after every job, gratitude is not the very first thing that comes to our mind. Truth be told. There are many times in life when we don't just feel like being grateful. You don't feel like being grateful. Now and then, you can find yourself in a situation where being thankful isn't easy. To say thank you is not easy. Not because you are not a grateful person. You know yourself as a grateful person. But because something might have happened or maybe is still happening... And being grateful is not the first thought on your mind because something is going on and you don't feel like saying thank you. Have you been there? <laughs> I have. Have you been there where everybody around you seems to be enjoying their lives? They are posting their holiday photos on social media and you see like, wow, I want to go there too. They look happy. Talking about their next project. They finished one and they are going to start another one. And you're like, wow, look at these people. Everything looks perfect for them. It feels awkward to be part of that conversation because things don't feel the same for you. When they are talking about it, you feel like I have nothing to contribute because that's not how my life feels like. When they post their things on social media, you feel like ah, I have nothing to post. When they are talking about it at church, you feel like I have nothing to talk about. At work, you feel like no, 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 no. That's not a place to be. Have you been there where you come to church and the person at the front will say, let's praise God, let's sing and be grateful for what he has done. And you look at yourself, what has he done? Singing is the last thing that comes to your mind. You just feel like, yeah, I'm just here because I know I have to. But singing is not my thing. Because I don't really know why I should be grateful. If you have found yourself there, know that you are not the only one. You're not the only one. Someone has been there too. Where you feel like you just don't have a reason to be grateful. You are not the only one if you are here today and you feel like you don't have a reason to be grateful. It's okay. It's okay. Paul, who wrote 13 or 14, there are still some arguments there, but 13 at least of 27 books in the New Testament. The guy, the most powerful evangelist, apostle of God, found himself in a similar situation, just like you, just like me. And here is what he said. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. 
But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, I don't know if surpasses or surpasses, depending on which school you went to. Voila. Every thought will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Paul, who don't you? Philippians 4, 10 to 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot in any and all circumstances, I have launched the secrets to being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. He is a man in prison. Paul was in prison, waiting to be sentenced and even at risk of death penalty. Paul was writing this to the church in Philippi that he started 10 years before he was arrested. After receiving a monetary gift from that church in Philippi, he received some money from them. And he was writing to them to encourage them and to thank them for what they've done. But remember, he was waiting for a sentence in Rome where he could even face death. Let me ask you, if it was you, what kind of message would you send to, to the people you know they care about you when you are in such a situation? You are waiting for a sentence. You are waiting for something that may cause you danger. And you know someone cares for you. In fact, they've sent you money. That means they care. And they are sending you this money and you are writing to them. What would you tell them? If it was me, I would tell them how hard life is in prison. I will tell them how mean the guards are and how disgusting the food is. Or the toilet. How dirty the toilet is and how hard the bed is. There's no even bed and I'm sleeping on the floor. And I will explain to them because I know they care. Because I know they care. So I'll explain all these bad things I'm experiencing in prison. He took the opportunity to encourage them to do something completely different. Completely different. Paul was in a physical prison, but he was spiritually free. His soul was free, but his body was in prison. Here he is, he's writing to people who may have been physically free, but their souls were in custody. Does it make sense? Paul is writing to people who are outside, but the kind of language he's using seems like those people are in prison. He needs to speak to them about how to be free, how to be happy. He's free in his soul. They are not. So it was not dictated by where he was. 
Paul was free from anxiety. He was free from fear. He was free from complaint. He was free from that. He was free from complaint. He chose to be joyful and encouraged the people to choose to be always joyful. Imagine from prison you are telling people, always be joyful. Hmm? Paul's attitude doesn't seem natural for someone in custody. Waiting to be sentenced. Someone waiting to be sentenced does not write such things. But if joy can be commanded, if you can say, be joyful, be joyful, be joy. If Paul, if we can tell people to be joyful, it sends a message that it's a choice and not a feeling. That joy is a choice and not necessarily a feeling. Because you don't control a feeling. A feeling is the reaction to something. While a choice is something you decide, you make it happen. Joy is a decision rather than a gift. You make it happen. We can step into joy instead of waiting for it to happen to us. You can stay there waiting for your joy. And I'm encouraging you to keep waiting. And you will wait and keep waiting. Keep waiting. Or you can decide today to step into your joy, to enter into your joy, and it will happen. That's what Paul is telling them. Don't wait for something to happen for you to be joyful. Step into your joy. Be joyful. Hmm. So here are three lessons we can learn from Paul. The first lesson Paul is teaching us is joy is more than a feeling. Joy is more than a feeling. When the Bible says that joy makes us fulfilled, that joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean we should wait for something to happen. God is not going to breathe his joy upon us. Receive. No, you have it already. The day you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in you and he came with the gift. He came with this seed of joy in you. It's up to you now to recognize it and tap into it. A fruit is developed. Most of the times, God doesn't give you a product. He gives you a seed to the product so that you can work on it. Most of the times. He has given you a seed to your joy. Would you step into it? So people can make you happy. But no one can make you joyful. Did you know that? Comedians can make you happy. But they can never make you joyful. Many things can affect your hormones. Your happy hormones. A joke. Exercise. A nice gift. A smile. <laughs> you see, I'll make you happy. I don't know if I'm making you joyful. Maybe you're smiling because you're happy, but you're not necessarily joyful. People use these tools to make others happy. But happiness is generally a response to what is happening around us. However, joy can be 
present regardless of your circumstances. Joy can be there. People and things can make you happy, but they cannot make you joyful. They cannot. So when you decide to follow Jesus with this seed in you that you already possess, that he gave to you of joy, God is looking forward for you to exercise it and build more and more joy. God does not send you to look for joy. Instead, he asks you to ensure that no one takes it away. Are you with me? You don't need to go and look for it. You have it, so make sure no one, no one takes it. That, that's what he is expecting from you. He expects you to utilize the joy you have already received and not try to find it. Sometimes we try to find joy. We travel to find joy. We do things to find joy. We organize things. We organize holidays and parties to find joy. No, it's not joy we are looking for. It's that's happiness. Joy is already there. Just need to tap into it. Just reach out. It is there. It is in you. Some commands from the Bible are tough to understand. They are even hard to leave out. Yeah, let me be honest. Rejoice always. That's what the Bible is asking you and I. Always? Do you know what always means? <laughs> really? Always? Do not be anxious of anything. Are you sure? <laughs> I would ask God, what do you mean by that? Anything? We face so many things that makes make us anxious. And you are telling me nothing should make me anxious and always be joyful? This command I just had. First, to understand it. Secondly, to apply it. How do you implement this? Be joyful always. Do not be anxious of anything. How could God expect me not to worry about anything? Okay, let's ask him. God, how could you not... How could you expect me not to worry about anything? Tell me this morning. I want to know. The answer is because he has given you the Holy Spirit. You are not going to do it on your own. The Holy Spirit in you will enable you to do it. There is nothing God can tell you to do based on your strength. They felt the whole testament. They felt. They felt. The reason why God expects us to do what he tells us to do is because he has given us the power to do it. That's all. It's not about our strength. It's about the Holy Spirit in us. So what I'm saying rejoice always, we may say, oh, how does it look like? Just the Holy Spirit, help me. It's possible. It is possible. So let's read that Philippians chapter 4, 10 to 12 again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at, at last you renewed your concern for me. That is Paul. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul begins his statement with gratitude. 
which most of us could not have done, could have, couldn't do. To start with, gratitude. You are in a position of weakness, in danger. The first thing I would say, mate, would you do something? Things are tough here. That would, that's how I would start my letter to you, Simon. But he starts with, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. At last, indicated that they took some time to intervene. Follow me. When he says at last means, <laughs> I was waiting for it. He took a bit long, but at last you've done it. <laughs> at last you've done it. Hmm. He then assumed, he assumes, indeed you were indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Every time we are under pressure, we can choose between contentment or complaint. This is how joyful people think. Joyful people assume the best of others. He says, even though you took long, indeed you were concerned about me, but you had no opportunity to show it. How did he know? How did he know that they had no opportunity to show it and they were not just, they were not just lazy, they didn't care? Why does he choose to, refer, to frame his language into a positive context? Do you see what he's doing? I know that you didn't do it, not because you don't care about me, but because you did not have the opportunity to do it. He's justifying their lateness. He's justifying why they didn't do it all that time. They didn't tell him. Are, are you with me? They did not tell him we took long because we did not have the opportunity. No. He just assumed the best. He assumed the best of others. Do you assume the best? Of others. <laughs> we always assume the worst of other people. Ah, look, the reason he's sitting outside is because he doesn't like me anymore. He doesn't want to see me. The reason why he's sitting there is because, and we give reasons to people's actions. That's why he said this, and that's why he took that, and that's why he went there. Because, because, because. And you assume the worst of others, and you expect to be joyful? Never. Joyful people assume the best of others. In the office, you assume the best of others. It doesn't mean you are naive. It doesn't mean you don't see what they do wrong. It doesn't mean you don't protect yourself. It simply means you don't have time to waste into looking at every mistake people make and how it will affect you and how you are in danger and how they don't care about you and how... Do you want to live joyful? Assume the best of others. Content people assume the best of the other. Content people always find a reason to be grateful. He was just grateful. Even though you took long, I'm happy. So this is how I define joy. Joy is the determination to praise God in all circumstances, trusting that he is in control of all details of my life and that he's working for my good and his glory. This is what joy represents to me. Joy is an attitude that results from faith. 
because I trust God, because I trust God, I am joyful. Joy is not a denial of challenges, but a decision to trust God despite and because of circumstances. Despite and because of circumstances, I will still trust God. Therefore, I'm joyful. The second point that Paul is teaching us is joy is not about your place, but God's presence. It's not about your place. Paul was not in a joyful place. You would agree that joy does not flow natural, naturally from a prison. You would agree. That's not a place where we can expect joy. It's easy to be joyful when things are going well, when everything is under control, your plans are working, everything is under control, your children are behaving well, your wife is looking at you with beautiful eyes, and your husband is looking at you with care. And yes, God, I'm so grateful. When something changes, are you still going to choose to be grateful? I know my wife is not changing. So I'm grateful, God. (laughs) <laughs> we are great are we able to be grateful when the going are hard we rejoice because of god's presence not because we are happy but because god is present that's when we praise god because we know god is here he's around us it's tough to be joyful but we will still choose to trust him Praising God must not be based on our place, but God's presence. Do you believe God is with you? If you believe God is with you, you have a reason to be joyful. You have a reason not to complain. You have a reason to be grateful. You have a reason to thank God. And finally, Don't rejoice despite of. Rejoice because of. That's the third point. Don't rejoice despite of. Rejoice because of. (laughs) Joyful people cry. Joyful people get confused. They get scared. They get frustrated. So I was not telling you all this time that because you are joyful, you'll never cry, you'll never get frustrated, you'll never be afraid. No, that is not what joy is all about. God is not asking us to hide who we are, to hide what we feel, to hide our emotions and our feelings. No. He asks us to trust him even in our distress, even in our confusion, even in danger. God wants us to still trust him. It's okay to cry. In fact, cry is a therapy. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be confused. But still trust God. And that's why we don't rejoice despite of. We rejoice because God is working out something for us. We are joyful because God is with us. He will never leave us. And in all things, he's working for our good. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. 
knowing that God is working something for me. God is up to something. Just the idea that I may not understand what is happening here, but I trust God is working something for my good will make you joyful. We lose our joy when we forget, when we forget that God is up to something. Even when we don't understand, it is hard. I know, I know it is hard. But Paul from a prison is writing to us, that's how we should live our lives. That's how we should live our life. You look at your circumstances, we look at our circumstances and we say, God, I don't understand. Honestly, God, I'm confused. Honestly, God, I'm scared. But I still trust you being at work. That is joy. That is how a joyful person reacts. It doesn't mean everything will work. Everything will always look good. Everything, that means God is at work. No, 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 no. The presence of God does not take away challenges. Unfortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> Depending on which school we went to. <laughs> which language should I use there? Unfortunately or fortunately? Or whatever. Whatever is the language. But in our challenges, God is working something. Imagine if God took all the disciples out of trouble. We wouldn't have the scriptures today. We wouldn't have the New Testament today. Just imagine yourself. If God took you out of trouble since your childhood, every challenge, God just, just live your life. <laughs> Peacefully and clearly, no challenge at school. If the exam comes and it's challenging to you, the teacher asks you, just leave it, I'll give you 100%. That's a good life, isn't it? If you are doing your driving, uh, driving test and you miss something, the, the, the trainer will tell you, ah, don't worry about that. I will give you a pass. Ha, ah, good life, isn't it? Okay, you offer speed and the police will stop you and say, ah, you're a good person. <laughs> Go. No challenge. Do, do you think, do you really think a life without challenge will make you a better person? Uh, you agree with me that it won't? God knows. <laughs> he knows that. Without challenges, we may not grow. That's why sometimes he allows them. And remember, everything is serving his glory. Everything in your life is serving his glory. You may say, God, this is too much. He knows. He knows what we can bear and what we can't bear. We just choose to trust him. And I'm standing here not because I've mastered the, the not because I have mastered the, the, the arts of being joyful. I'm still on the school of joy. Still learning how to be joyful every day. You can sleep easily. You can fall easily on that road of joy if you're not careful. Because someone is after you to steal your joy every second. He will give you excuses to complain, excuses to miss, excuses to be unhappy. So joy. We are joyful because God himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said it. That's why I'm joyful. We are joyful because God is in control is not a slogan for religious people. 
How are you, brother? God is in control. How was your day? God is in control. What's your plans? God is in control. How is your wife? God is in control. And children? God is in control. How is school? God is in control, brother. No. <laughs> God is in control is not a slogan. We say it because it's a statement of faith that reflects the reality of our life. If God was not in control, we would be gone. It's because God is in control that we are still here. And that's why his will is still being fulfilled on earth. Because he is in control. That's why our lives will serve for his glory from glory to glory. God is in control. Don't rejoice instead of... That is denying the problem. When you rejoice instead of, it seems like... Even though that is happening, I'm still rejoicing. That's not how God wants us to rejoice. He wants us to rejoice because he is in control. Do you get it? Instead of is ignoring the problem. Because of is acknowledging the problem but put God on top. We rejoice because we trust God. When you do those mind exercise and you learn to live a positive life, you feel the positive energy coming from this side and you feel the negative energy going that side and you feel like your know, life is back in control. You are living instead of. You are ignoring the problems. They train people to do that. To take the negative energy coming from here and the positive energy going from there. I'm not against doing those, like, you know, look, if that's what you do as a business, that's fine. You know, I'm just saying that's not what the Bible tells me to do. The Bible doesn't tell me to sit down and take my problems and ignore them, put them in a box and throw them away. That is not what God is asking me to do. God wants me to acknowledge them. To look at this problem and how big it is and see the mountain in front of me and then say, my God is bigger than this. That is what God asks us to do. I put God above every issue in my life. That is rejoicing because of, not instead of. God is in control. So these are three, three things I would like you to do. You know, just, just imagine how it would be where parents and all children in a house live with a grateful attitude toward God and toward each other. Just imagine that family. Just imagine hearing thank you from your workmates after every event or incident at work. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Just imagine that. Just imagine if you learn to say thank you every day and all the time. Just imagine your, sp your spouse saying thank you even when you forgot to pick up the kids from school. Thank you. No, but you wash the dishes in the night. You know? Yeah, that was a way of paying back. <laughs> thank you. Just imagine if that's the kind of environment we create where we, we rejoice, we, we say thank you to each other. Say thank you. We say thank you. 
Just imagine if we create that kind of environment. So three assignments to do this week if you can. Last week I gave you three assignments on love. This week we have three assignments on joy. Every morning, write three things you are grateful about who you are. Grateful about who you are. Your body, your skills, your spiritual gifts, who you are. Every day, three things about yourself that you are grateful to God, you are grateful about. Second, every evening, write down or say to someone three things you are thankful about your day. Just look back and say three things you are grateful about. Some people do it already. So thank you for those who do it already. Look back in the evening and say thank you to how God laid you in the day. Three things. Be specific. Find them. Even if you had a bad day, still find three things to be grateful about. And the third one. Find three things to be grateful about <laughs> find three things to be grateful about this season of COVID-19. From March 2020, I think, that's where it hit Australia. I think from that, around that time, beginning of 2020, up to now. What are the three things you are grateful about in this season? Find three things that you may be grateful about in this season. God has done something for the last two years. He has, definitely, he has. Joy is a choice, remember. Joy is present in every Christian. In you, you have joy. You have joy. You have it. 